Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. It's my privilege to uh, read God's word this morning uh, for the text that uh, Josh is going to be sharing from. So it is Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. So if you'll take a look at that and join me in in, uh, looking at God's word. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him out into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Well, good morning. My name's Josh. It's great to be with you. Uh, Here we are, together as a church family in this new new season. Uh, Yeah, woohoo. It feels like it's been a long time coming. it's been a great first week. I started on Monday. It was technically my first first day of day on the job, and uh, Carrie and Amy and Todd were super gracious, answering at least some of my many, many, many questions. And Wednesday night, I got to uh, share the share the gospel with a bunch of kids with uh, Brian Arnold at at, uh, at Brigade. Uh, so it was cool to see him in action. Um, Caleb. Our new uh, worship director hosted a uh, a paint and sip party on Thursday. That was super fun, and also a little embarrassing. Uh, definitely was not hired for my painting skills. <laughs> so yeah, that that canvas is not going to be very visible uh, ever again. Uh, but you know, I, I grew up I grew up in this church, so it feels like coming home. You know, it's the hugs and stories. It's just been really sweet stories I, I didn't even remember. And um, I was leaving one day this week, and Ron Stoltz was posted up here. Uh, getting the the boxes for the kids, and he's like, uh, "Hey, uh, what what country was it that you were robbed on the bus in?" And uh, was it Brazil? And I was like, "Well, it was Argentina, actually." But I can't believe you remember that, like that I got robbed on a bus. Uh, how do you know about that? So it's just sweet to come to a place where people know know the, know these stories that I, I didn't even tell him. I don't know how he, he found out about that, but uh, the. 
<laughs> the, the background to the, the Argentina bus robbing story is that three weeks into my senior year of college, I, I dropped out and bought a ticket to, to South America, kind of on a whim. And I got off the plane in Buenos Aires and was just like, what have I done? <laughs> like, I don't know anyone for like 6,000 miles. Uh, but it turned out to be a very formative, great four-month experience. I got to experience the big city for the first time in Buenos Aires. And then I traveled to Patagonia and did some backpacking alone through fierce landscapes. I think I have a picture of that. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. They didn't have filters back then. Uh, but the, the, the portrait of a preacher as a young man, I thought it was pretty hard and edgy uh, sitting there, my, my couch of rocks. But uh, I was doing what the kids are calling finding myself. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great experience. But also, as you can maybe tell by this picture, it was also very lonely. Uh, I had never experienced that kind of loneliness before. It was like my beatnik stage where I very little money, so I was doing like one little meal a day, and I figured out that if I got an overnight bus to the next town, then I wouldn't have to pay for a hostel. So it'd be like travel and lodging at the same, uh, for the, the price of one. And uh, and so there were, you know, many nights just sitting in a on bus station tile waiting for, you know, the like 2 a.m. bus or whatever in some random little town. And I had let my hair grow out and my beard got a little scruffy and, you know, people would kind of like shepherd their kids away from, from the, the dude, the scruffy dude, and no one knew me. No one moved towards me. It was just a profound experience of, of loneliness and connection. It formed a deep value for community and relationships in me. And, and then I came home two days before Christmas. I walked in through the door of the house where I grew up, and my family moved towards me. My little sister was like eight at the time. She jumped into my arms. There were hugs all around. My mom had copious amounts of food cooked, Bing Crosby singing Christmas carols, and just because of the bus station tile experience, I remember distinctly that while I was gone, they had gotten new carpet, like the whole house. So the whole house just felt like a pillow compared to uh, the tile in bus stations or whatever. A few moments in my life have felt sweeter. That, that, that feeling of coming home uh, felt sweeter. And I have a picture from that time, too. It's up there. That's us goofing around. Uh, I don't know what we were doing, but it was Christmas Eve, and we decided to put our sisters on our shoulders. Uh, but a uh, very, very sweet experience. And I tell that story today because we're going to talk about uh, repentance. And the main idea for us this morning as we talk about repentance is that repentance is coming home. I hope that we see that repentance is like coming home from a far country, a lonely place, where, to, a, to a place where people now move towards you to embrace you, where there's good food and safety. And for a, a long time in my ministry, the, the connection between human flourishing and repentance ha, has, has been on my heart because it, it's a word that has a lot of relig re religious baggage. Uh, might be a word that uh, some of us are scared of, uh, but it's also a word that's in the Bible. So we got to do something with it. And my prayer is that we could let Scripture define and shape our view of this idea of repentance. Uh, because look with me at Mark 1, verse 14. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
So this is a passage where Mark is summarizing in like one or two verses kind of the the core of what Jesus was about, the core of Jesus's message while he was doing ministry on the earth. And so let's unpack the words briefly. He went around proclaiming the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news, glad tidings, as we're going to see here in the Advent series. Um, And what was the good news that Jesus was sharing? That the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, we could do a whole sermon series unpacking this, this verse and even the kingdom of God. But suffice it to say, a working definition of the kingdom of God is life with God under his rule. We can, as God's people, experience life with him joyfully under his loving rule. To say it another way, we experience God as our Father because good fathers, they're with you, they're present, they love you, and they use their power and authority to help you grow and flourish. And this is how the God of the universe has decided to uh, reveal himself to us. And so the response to this news, according to Jesus, which is the best news there is, is to repent and believe it, repent and believe this good news. And so if repentance is so central to Jesus' message, the man we claim to follow, we should understand what it means. But I'd be curious what your understanding of repentance is. You know, is it something that, you know, you, do, you did once when you were nine, uh, prayed the prayer of repentance and haven't looked back? Is it a, a scary word that preachers yelled at you when fire and brimstone preaching was, was more in vogue, or the, the guy on the corner with a megaphone. I, it, generally, the call to repentance seems pretty negative in our culture. Uh, the, the, you know, kind of the, the good news of our culture outside of the church is what? Like, you do you, live your truth. You know, repentance has no place because I can do whatever I want. There's no reason for me to change. Yet here we see it is the core of Jesus' message, and it's closely associated with glad tidings. A little connection with church history. Martin Luther was a guy who started the Protestant Reformation back in the 1500s. Whether you've heard his name or not, he's a big part of the reason why we're in this room today. And uh, there's this moment where he nailed 95 theses on the door of a church in Germany uh, with these things, these, uh, these concepts that he had seen in Scripture that seemed to be different than the teaching of the church. And his very first thesis is this, of the 95, is this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Meaning that repentance is not a one and done kind of deal that we, we just do once and get our get out of hell you know, card and then we can move on. But instead it's this lifestyle of turning again and again to who Jesus is in the gospel to the good news that life with God under his rule as our loving Father is available to us. So as we begin our journey together as a church family, I wanted to just spend this Sunday talking about repentance because I believe it could just be a beautiful, fruitful thing if we all can lock arms around this. If we embrace it as a family like it's coming home, that repentance, even in the scariness of it, is, is, a, is, a, is relief, is a means of experiencing life with God under his rule and grace. I think this can create such a sweet, grace-drenched culture in our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, our relationships with the, the people that don't know Jesus all around us will become much, much richer and more fruitful. 
And the best picture of repentance, the best story to capture the true good news of repentance is the prodigal son that Amy read. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time just walking through this parable that Jesus told, soaking in it. It's beautiful, entering in with our imaginations and, and, and trying to put ourselves in the character's shoes. So if you haven't turned there yet, turn to Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 11. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered it, squandered his property in reckless living. So by asking for his inheritance, the younger son is effectively saying to his dad, I wish you were dead so that I could get your stuff. I'd rather have your stuff than you, than a relationship with you, than to be in, in, in a relationship where I'm under your rule as the father of the house. And this shows us the core of the need for repentance. Incredibly, the father does it. He sells half of his property. Like we, If you're like me, you might have heard the story so many times, we can miss the devastating scandal of this, like the, the heartache and just relational destruction that this would have met, uh, meant, you know, as the father sold land and livestock, liquidated assets, let servants go in order to give his son what he asked for. But even worse than any financial pain or whatever is the fact that as a father, he's hearing his son saying, I just want your stuff. Give me your stuff and leave me alone. And does the son go and establish himself as a respectable member of society? No, he squanders it on reckless living, prostitutes and feasts. He just burns through it. Growing up, I remember my dad having this strange fascination about crazy wealthy athletes that then end up bankrupt. And I remember him telling me about some running back who, you know, got his huge signing bonus and contract and all that. but then would like take his whole squad on a private jet to Vegas and just go crazy for a weekend. Hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of you know, one weekend, just over the top excess, and now he's broke. Like That's the idea that we have here with the prodigal son. He takes his father's stuff, rejects his father's re- relationship with his father, and tries to get the stuff to satisfy him. Friend, this is the reality of my sin and your sin, all of our sin. Sin is first and foremost a relational brokenness, a relational rejection, rejecting God as our king and father and trying to find satisfaction apart from him in his stuff, worshiping the created thing instead of the creator. You and I, all of us here, take God's stuff and reject him, try to build our own kingdom and live by our own rule. Look how it ends up for this guy. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose, arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the, pi- the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So like that running back, he ends up with nothing. Hungrier than pigs. Worse off than pigs. Now, in my opinion, pigs are these incredible creatures that God made that can take like an apple core and turn it into bacon. It's, it's beautiful. Praise God. Uh, 
But in Jewish culture, they were unclean animals. So this is like, Jesus is telling a story here, right? This is a parable. He's going to like the lowest of the low, like someone who is like worse off than unclean animals. And he has nothing. And he's longing to eat pig slop. This is the context of repentance. He's at the, the end of his rope. He's ashamed, filthy, hungry, and desperate. And this is often what it takes to bring us to repentance. When our, our way of managing life stops working, when our schemes and strategies for satisfaction just start to fall apart. And here we see the heart of repentance. Look at the first part of 17, verse 17. But when he came to himself, I love, I love that, that phrase. He comes to himself. He has this awakening. It's like the scales fall off his eyes. And he sees himself sitting there amongst the pigs, hungry. And he says, what am I doing? You see the change? First, he's desperate, but he's still grinding. Like he's still scheming, trying to figure out how to get food. Maybe he could snag some food from the pigs. But then it stops, and he sees himself. And this is the heart of repentance, coming to yourself, seeing yourself clearly having the courage to look at your broken desires honestly, not dressing them up, not whitewashing them, not sweeping them under the rug. And I mean, so much in our lives and our culture is about, is set up to keep us from this heart of repentance. It's like coming to ourselves because we can distract ourselves or prop ourselves up with fun and creature comforts and getting stuff done and noise and busyness and never have to look honestly at ourselves. But the truth is, coming home to the Father's embrace, this place of repentance, it's almost impossible to happen when we're just in a hurry and maxing out creature comforts. The sun finally slowed down, finally had space from the alcohol and the women and the party and the noise to see himself clearly. And this leads to the language of repentance. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The, heart of, the language of repentance here shows the depth of sin. He's not minimizing it. He's not being a spin doctor and trying to make it seem less than it is, he's saying it very plainly, I've sinned against God and you, Father. I have no rights, no leg to stand on. There's no defense. There's no explanation that can make my sin any less catastrophic than it is. Now, this invitation to repentance is good news, but it doesn't mean that it's not painful because it requires us to see, in fact, that we are sinners, There's all kind of like pseudo-repentance language that floats out there like, you know, I I have some regrets or, you know, we live and learn or everybody's, you know, doing the best they can or I might need a little help in that area. Instead, this is I have sinned against the almighty God of the universe. I have rebelled against him. I have rejected the one true king. I have told my perfect loving father that I know better, that I wish he was dead so I could do it my way. And next he says, please, just let me be a servant. Just to let me work for you, even that would be a grace, would be a gift. And Jesus says in the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Mark 5, 
He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for they will experience life with God under his rule. And this, this picture, this, the prodigal son with the pigs having this come to Jesus moment is, is a picture of what it means to be poor in spirit. It's, it's spiritual bankruptcy. I have nothing to offer you, God. No bargaining chips, nothing to bring to the table. My spiritual account is hopelessly empty. I am a beggar. And this is super weighty when you think about it, because this isn't just like one path to Jesus that he's talking about. He's like, this is the path, this spiritual bankruptcy, this, this, this spiritual poverty. And so look what the son does next, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. This is the move of repentance. What we see about repentance is that true repentance requires movement. He left the pig's and the slop, and returned to his father. He doesn't just try to get cleaned up or become a better pig farmer. He doesn't try to save up some money first to pay his dad back. He just rises and goes. And repentance, this is, this is part of the outworkings of spiritual poverty. We realize there's nothing we can do. We're, we're $10 billion in debt. Like, what are we going to do to try to, to do anything to get right with God and so we just turn and go as desperate, needy people. We turn from the pig slop and we go to our Father. No, real repentance leaves us in the slops. Real repentance draws us to our Father. It's not just feeling guilty. Guilt often keeps us away from relationships, away from God, keeps us with the pigs because I deserve this and I'm a terrible person. Or, but conviction, true conviction from the Holy Spirit in true repentance moves us towards God. But the beautiful thing is we don't have to go far. Look at the rest of verse 20. He arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Jesus is showing us the response of God, our father, towards you and towards me in our repentance. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God runs to us when we come to him broken and dirty. The same father who was told, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff, saw his son from afar. Why? Because he was looking for him. He was waiting for him, longing for him to come home. And he lifts up his robes and runs. Can we just use our imaginations for a minute and put ourselves in the lived experience of the son returning? The deep shame for what you've done to your father. The desperation of being hungry and having no options at all. Being hungrier than pigs. Returning to your wealthy, dignified father, covered in pig excrement and mud, stinking, fully deserving to be rejected. And in your desperation, your father sees you from afar and wraps his arms around you, picks you up off the ground, kisses you with tears in his eyes. And you, you try to get your speech out. You, you mumble how unworthy you are, how, how much you've messed up, and uh, uh, you just want to be a servant. But the father will hear nothing of that. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The father, with joyful tears in his eyes, overflowing with love, replaces the rags the son is wearing with with a clean robe. He gives you an extravagant ring that marks you as a son. He tells everyone, this is my son. Let's celebrate. He was dead, and now he's alive. The cry of my heart is that we would have this understanding of repentance. It's coming home to this kind of embrace with God and with his people, leaving the pig slops or turning from a far country, a far country where no one would give us anything, to a father who, without us asking, dresses us in clean robes and gives us a ring, the ring of sonship and hugs us and throws us a huge party. We go desperately knowing we need grace, we don't, we don't even deserve to be a servant, but we're going because we have no other options. And God in his glorious grace, I love this about this parable, uh, we'll hear nothing of being a servant or a slave. Did you notice that? The son didn't get to finish his speech. He doesn't even get to ask to be a servant because the father's already commanding for a party to happen. He's already calling everybody to celebrate. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as, adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has adopted you as a son or daughter, and you can call him Father. We receive new clothes. We go into a party full of good food and people who are excited to see you and move towards you. Repentance is not feeling worthless, not paying penance for the bad things we've done. It's not beating ourselves up all the time. It's not God is good and I'm a worm and we just live forever in that space. It's turning from the slop into a seat at the table with the Father who loves us. Now, I hope old Marty's uh, thesis makes a bit more sense. Martin Luther's first thesis we looked at, the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. If we understand it as coming home, then this is a beautiful vision for what life looks like as a Jesus follower. It's this regular, daily, minutely, hourly kind of journey back to the Father's embrace. Our lives as Jesus followers begin with initial repentance of our sin, of trusting Jesus to be our Savior and also our Lord and turning our lives to follow him. And then there's a, a process for the rest of our lives of returning back into this good news, back into the Father's embrace, as we see more and more what our pig slops are and returning from our isolation and desperation. So questions for you to consider. What is your far country? What are your pig slops? It could be lots of different things. Some, sometimes it's an obvious sin, you know, drinking too much when we're sad and lonely or... When we're stressed, we look at porn or something like that. And, and friend, there's, there's victory over that. There's opportunity for freedom from that. As we sang, he's broken every chain. Sometimes it's not something that's necessarily bad. Our pig stops might not be something that's necessarily bad. It might be like food or work or going to TV for, for comfort or identity instead of, of God. And sometimes it's tricky because it's something really beautiful, like being a parent or a marriage or, or, or a, a, even a ministry, God help us, can become things that we replace God with. 
And so this is a, a one way to describe the process of sanctification. We, we allow God to search us and know us, and then as things come up, we repent of them and turn back into the Father's embrace. We don't condemn ourselves because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is where the, the beauty of God's redemptive power comes, where sin now becomes an opportunity to rehearse the gospel and return once again to our Father's embrace. See how God flips that on its head? And covered in the grace of, of God, now whenever we sin, that's just an opportunity to remember what is more true about us than our sin, which is that we are beloved children through Jesus. Practically, I have two invitations for you to consider. The first one is, is silence and solitude. Slow down enough to where this coming home style of, of redemption or of repentance can happen. When we're frazzled and distracted, this is probably not going to happen. It requires space to, to come to ourselves. And so I don't know what silence and solitude sounds like you. It sounds like to you. It's not this super complicated thing. It's literally just like setting a timer for 15 minutes or 10 minutes and just sitting with God and letting, letting him have his way with you. You don't have to make anything happen. This is time where you're just being present to God. You're allowing him to look at you. Uh, one, one thing I found helpful is to pray the last couple of verses of Psalm 39. It says, search me and know me, O God. Try me and know my heart and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Not a silver bullet. It's just regular space to hear from your father. The second thing is to confess sin to one another, uh, which is not for me. That's James, James 5.16. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing. You know, if, we, if, we, if we can't confess our sin to another broken human, there's a good chance we might be lying to ourselves that we can really honestly repent to the God of the universe. So triads are a great place for this to happen, to bring your triad partners in on a struggle and confess your sin, um, or even confess desires. Like, praise God, some of us might get to the point where we're not acting on our sinful desires, but they're still, like, wrecking havoc internally in us. And you say, guys, all I wanted to do this week was to eat my feelings because I'm so stressed. And I know that God is my true comfort. You know, will you pray for me? What would it look like to bring your spouse into those moments where you realize that you're consumed with anxiety because at some level you just don't believe that God is for you? You know it's true, but on some level your body is telling you you don't believe that in your anxiety. And then ask to pray. Camille and I were out in San Francisco years back at this leaders training, and each morning of this training, we do an hour of just kind of unstructured prayer and worship time, uh, which was really sweet. And at separate times, Camille and I both had this moment where we're, we're praying out loud in the group, confessing something that we're convicted about. And then the group, moved by the Spirit, like gets up and, and moved towards us and laid their hands on us. They began praying the truth of the gospel over us and, and kind of calling forth what they saw God doing in our lives. It was one of the times I have felt most seen and loved by God. And it began not because I was praying a super awesome prayer that impressed everybody, but because I was mumbling about something that I was struggling with. This horizontal practice uh, that, that I, I believe can be so powerful to make the, the, the vertical reality, the, the good news of life with God more tangible to us. 
And what feels heavy on my heart is that sometimes us church people, we might only get the first part of repentance right. The context and language. You might think I'm bad. I don't deserve it to be a child of God. And I just need to, I just need to do. I just need to serve him. And while it's true, none of us deserve to be children of God. It is a gift. And it's true that serving God is a wonderful, joyful thing to do. The good news of repentance is that we receive the embrace, receive for free the love of God, not for what we do. We're not paying him back by her service. The father doesn't even let the son get his line out about being one of the hired servants. Receiving is so hard to do for some of us, myself included. Like, can you, what does it feel like to take a compliment, receive a compliment, you know, or receive some nice thing that someone does to you? Or maybe, you know, we're not touchy-feely people, and so hugs just aren't, aren't our thing or whatever. And so I just, I just wonder if some of us live out this parable where we, we, we've come back to the Father, and he comes to embrace us, and we just duck out. And we, and we get the line out. Just let me serve you. Just let me, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve your hug, the robe, the ring, the party. Just let me work for you. And that misses the fullness of the good news of the gospel. This is why we have see Christians and pastors burning out and all, all these kinds of things. Like, are we living at the table with the Father? Or are we just living in guilt and trying to do enough for God to feel better about ourselves? was coming home and receiving each day the new mercies God has for us and life with him. It's an intimate trust. And it's beautiful because you can trust God with your mistrust. Like you can come to him just saying, I don't believe that you're good right now. Like you, you, there's nothing you can say that will, that will make God not love you. And running to God with whatever you got. That's my favorite definition of prayer. Just pray what you got. You know, like whatever you have, whatever you're feeling, whatever you want, tell God that. Now, how can this be possible? How can such in- incredible good news exist? We'll look at verse 23. The father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So something died so that this repentance party could happen. And the same is true for you and me. Someone died so that you and I can experience repentance as a, as a homecoming. It was Jesus, the Son of God, who never rejected the Father's embrace, who lived perfectly in the Father's love. But on the cross, all of our rebellion, all of our rejection of God was put on him and paid for. And he rose again so that, like the prodigal son, we who were dead can be alive again and experience life with God under his loving rule God's desire for you is to turn and receive his embrace, and it's founded on the finished work of Jesus' death and resurrection. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and the band will come up. And after I pray, I want to just invite you to come forward if you need to respond uh, to this message. You want to talk to me, or there'll be other folks on the sides you can pray with. Um, Repentance is a lifelong process. Maybe you've been in church a long time, but there's just something you haven't brought out into the light Or maybe you're new to all this Jesus stuff and haven't had that initial turn to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. If you're tired and lonely, friend, God is looking for you. He wants to embrace you. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we just praise you for who you are, that you are the God of all mercy and grace, that you are a God who is relational 
And in staggering grace, you are a God who wants us to call you Father. Father, I pray for us this morning as we just respond to the story Jesus told, that it would be uh, good news to us, that the, the fear of vulnerability, the fear of repentance, of letting people in to our struggle uh, would be met with just the hope of coming home to your love. I pray, Father, we'd be a church family that embraces people uh, physically the way you do spiritually, that we'd be uh, your arms embracing people uh, who want to come home to your love and offer them a seat at the table. Father, would we be people marked by repentance, just quick and easy to own where we've messed up and forgive each other, and that would just be a sweet uh, atmosphere of of grace and forgiveness in our church family as we move forward uh, with you on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.